0: James Kahn is your man, the British Pakistani entrepreneur, went from no degree to starting a recruitment company to becoming one of the most respected and successful entrepreneurs in the UK, as well as a government advisor. He's a former star of Dragon's Den, and his latest recruitment company, Recruitment Entrepreneur, is in fact expanding into New Zealand, and James Kahn is with us from Monaco. Good morning. Greetings, Mike. How are you? I'm exceedingly well. Now, are you born or are you made an entrepreneur?
1: Um, That's a really good question, Mark. Mike, I think it's a combination of two. I think you have some characteristics when you're born, but I think to become a successful entrepreneur, I feel some of those skills need to be honed and developed. I don't think everything just comes naturally because you're born, because that kind of implies that you don't have to make an effort. And I think every entrepreneur will say to you that it's tough And it's incredibly challenging. And you've got to learn and develop and and work very
0: hard. So I think the answer is a combination of the two. Do you need to go bust before you become a proper entrepreneur? I think it can help,
1: Mike. I think the value of hard knocks teaches you some very valuable lessons. And I think most entrepreneurs would say that we learn more when we fail. We learn from our mistakes. And I think if you've never made mistakes, if you've never experienced hardship, you know, I think you haven't really learned the complete art of being an entrepreneur. So I think having a few knockbacks is certainly not a bad thing.
0: Well, your role in the Dragon's Den and in reality television generally, normally we talk about the voice and all that sort of stuff. In terms of Dragon's Den, will a great entrepreneur always get to the top somehow, television or not, or does the television genuinely help?
1: I think most
0: entrepreneurs,
1: if they are natural-born, gifted entrepreneurs who work hard, who have a great idea with a clear execution plan, with or without TV, have every opportunity of being successful. I think being on national TV and having millions of people, you know, seeing your product, service, and your passion for business will certainly do you no harm. All of the entrepreneurs that I met on Dragon's Den, as a simple factor of being exposed to national TV, you know, did their business, no end of good. So I think it was definitely a a plus and something I would highly recommend to anybody entrepreneur who has a
0: compelling idea. What do you make of the link, if there is one, between those who who make it as entrepreneurs versus those who went through a traditional education system? In other words, it seems to me that education isn't the be-all and end-all. If you want to be great, you can be great. You don't need to spend a lot of time at school.
1: I mean, I would never deprive anybody of a good education. You know, I myself encouraged my children to go to university, despite the fact I never went to university, because I think the more attributes that you have, the better. That isn't to say that without a good education, you cannot make it as an entrepreneur. You know, I left school at 16, didn't complete my education, and still had a good opportunity to be successful I think business is incredibly challenging. It's very difficult. And the more resources that you have, the more characteristics and components you have, the better position you are to be successful. Yeah.
0: Do you think you can still do that in this? I don't want to sound old, but I started in broadcasting with no qualifications whatsoever and I've done okay. You started with no real qualifications. You've done brilliantly well. Can you still, but that's, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago. Can you still do that? I mean, certainly,
1: Mike, I've met many people, you know, in recent times, you know, who have started with very little and have gone on to become incredibly successful. I would say that it's harder now because I think business and the climate is much different today than it was, as you rightly say, 20, 30 years ago. I think with technology, e-commerce and the way we do business today, is extremely difficult how we started 20, 30 years ago. So I would say today,
0: they're probably education will probably have the edge. Why recruitment for you? What was the fascination? Um, like many people, Mike,
1: I stumbled into recruitment. It's, it's rarely a career that people choose when mm. they start out their first career. When I stumbled on it, I just found it fascinating. You know, you spend a lot of time engaging with people. You spend a lot of time with clients. It's a very competitive market. You get to know people really well. You understand the psychology of people. You know, it's a very interesting industry where you're you're satisfying the demand of talent shortages in the economy, you know, and it pays really well. You know, if you're good at it, you can make a lot of money. And I think it had all of the characteristics that made it very exciting for me and something thoroughly enjoyable. And here I am 40 years later, Mike, you know, still working seven days a week in an industry, that
0: I thoroughly enjoy and love. Yes, yeah, see, if you love, you never work, do you? Clearly. Exactly. Listen, James, when you talk about, you know, these talent shortages, have you ever seen anything like we've seen post-COVID? Um, you saw the most incredible bounce post-COVID
1: uh, and something that I've not experienced before where demand was just off the charts because we'd gone through this period where nobody hired, you know, for nearly two years in some cases, you know, they came back to the market with you know, such a determination to grow and to scale. And we saw demand, outstrip supply, which obviously then saw wage inflation and and other challenges. But certainly, I would say 21-22, the
0: recruitment industry did see some extraordinary results and performance. Did a lot of people get a lot of work and a lot of pay rises, whether they deserved it or not? Because borders were closed and you just couldn't find people for love nor money.
1: Absolutely. I mean, that's a simple factor, Mike, of supply and demand. You know, where there is huge demand and a limited supply, you will always end up paying
0: more. It's just a factor of economics. Do people still want to work? Because one of the things that's come out of COVID is we all want to work from home. We all want a four day week. We all want a massive pay rise. It's got nothing to do with productivity. Have we got fundamentally lazy or not?
1: I think there's definitely an element of a shift in mindset. I don't think, it. I wouldn't say that people have become lazy. I think people's priorities may have changed. I think the concept of spending more time with family, spending more time with children, I think people's mindset and balance of priorities have definitely shifted. And I think it's starting to show through in the workplace.
0: For good or bad? For good or bad, absolutely. As far as immigration is concerned, it was just last week in Britain, 600,000 net gain, and that seems to be an angsty number for a lot of Brits. We have a similar discussion going on in this country at the moment. How do you balance the number of people you need, the skills you need, and border control at the same time? The one thing I would say, Mike, is from my experience
1: in recruitment for over 40 years, I think immigration stimulates an economy. I think immigration drives productivity. I think a lot of jobs that are taken in by immigration are jobs that locals, let's be honest, simply don't want to do. Mm. You know, a lot of the low-paid jobs go unfilled because there isn't the demand by the local workforce for that. In addition to that, right now, a lot of economies, including New Zealand, Australia, you know, and the UK, we have shortages in certain sectors where we're struggling. And therefore, I think if you don't have immigration... You lose a competitive edge. You know, I think it does absolutely impact productivity. So I think you need border controls, absolutely. I don't think we should have a free-for-all, but I think we shouldn't be so closed-minded
0: because we lose a competitive edge as an economy. Is there a racism element to the whole immigration debate, do you think? I think it's quite specific
1: country by country. I, I don't believe you can use one brush suits all.
0: But there are certain communities, certain countries where I'm sure that does exist. How individual are – I mean, you're coming to this country, for example. How individual is New Zealand's story from Australia's story from Britain's story from the American story?
1: Um, I think it's very unique. I think it's very different. I think you cannot compare – New Zealand to an Australia or a Singapore or an America, it has its own strengths, it has its own weaknesses. I think when you're entering any market, I think you have to respect the dynamics of the culture, the economy, the country. It has different skill sets, it has different sectors that do better than others. So we've always been extremely tailored and highly focused When we're entering into a new market, recognising that we need to build a business that reflects the dynamics of that economy and that community.
0: How much of what you do now then is involved in risk? In other words, you think, right, I'll come to New Zealand, how big a risk is this? Or are you big enough now with a big enough name and reputation where a lot of that's taken out of the equation because of who you are?
1: I mean, I think like most businesses, Mike, if you have a big brand coming into a market, it always has a bit of an edge. You know, opposed to somebody that's a complete and utter startup, you know, so because of the brand, because of the reputation, because of the experience, my business today operates out of 20 countries, we employ thousands of people, generate hundreds of millions in revenues, that knowledge, that experience, of course, gives us an edge when we're entering a new market, what we have to offer and our ability to sustain what we're going to do is much greater than you would be if
0: you were just a startup. Mm. What keeps you fizzing once you get this big and this successful? You presumably have a lot of people to do a lot of it for you. Has the magic then been rubbed off the experience of starting something? Um, You know, I thought it would, Mike. Every year I think, you know,
1: I should slow down. Every year I think, you know, we've gone as big as we want to be. But you can't take out that DNA that you have to be who you are. You know, it's innate in you and and despite the scale and the size of our organisation, I still work as hard today as I did 20 years ago. I haven't changed one bit. I think that that passion, that excitement, that drive remains with you and, you know, I've taken sabbaticals, you know, I've spent time, you know, abroad trying to slow down. The problem is how much (laughs) golf can you play? How much, you know, can you sail? You know, how many meals can you have? Because you still end up. Because you need a purpose. You need a reason to get up in the morning. And I think for me, work is my pleasure. It's my love. And I think anything I do other than that just doesn't
0: give me the same satisfaction. Well, it's inspiring. It's been terrific to talk with you, James. And I wish you all the very best. And we'll catch up again soon, hopefully. Look forward to it, Mike. You take care. God bless. James Cown out of um, Monaco this morning. Recruitment entrepreneur heading to this particular part of the world.